Welcome to the Leaving Cert Guidance Podcast. My name is Dilako Mahoney and I'm a secondary school guidance counsellor. I also run the Leaving Cert Guidance Instagram page, so if you're not following that page, make sure you hit the follow button. On today's episode, I'm joined by Harry Dickinson, Senior Lecturer in Counselling and Psychotherapy at the Irish College of Humanities and Applied Sciences. We talk about the CAO courses on offer there, professional accreditation, practice placement, student life at ICAS, employment opportunities and much more. Okay, so I'm joined by Harry Dickinson, Senior Lecturer in Counselling and Psychotherapy in ICAS. Uh, Harry, you're very welcome on to the Leave and Cert Guidance podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Danica. Pleasure. Uh, so for the, some of the students uh, who are listening, so we've Leave and Cert students and guidance counsellors and, and PLC students, tell us a bit about ICAS and the background and what you guys do there. Well, we've been around for an awful lot longer than most people realise, I think. Uh, we, we originally would have been the National Counselling Institute, National Counselling and Psychotherapy Institute of Ireland. And from that, back in 2010, 2011, we expanded to become ICAS, um, which um, I suppose was driven by the fact that we were bringing in more courses, more programmes, and becoming HETAC and then QQI um, accredited and ratified. So we needed to expand into a college environment. And we were originally in, I know you know, your Mungard College, originally in Mungard College um, and we moved from there into our new premises, the premise that we have now in Castle Troy in, in Limerick beside um, UL. And we also have a, a, a campus in Dublin now in Griffith College. So all in all, although we're a small college, we still have at the moment about 600 students studying at both undergraduate level and at um, master's level. Yeah, just when I was uh, on the ICAS website, you, you actually offer a huge amount of postgrads as well as undergrads as well. Yeah, the postcards are, are, are very popular. We'd have a lot of people um, coming from counselling backgrounds who want to, um, uh, and we might deal with this later on, you know, the, the whole area where counselling is becoming more of a profession now and it's becoming regulated, government regulated. Um, a lot of people are now looking to increase their qualifications in order to qualify to be professional counsellors. So we'd have a lot of counsellors who'd be coming back to education. So they, they're coming to the master's programme. And, but we'd also have people who'd be converting over from, we'd say, um, social service, social work, psychology, etc., and moving into counselling as well. Excellent. And so you guys offer three undergrad courses uh, and, and three uh, undergrad courses that are on the CAO. Uh, so we've level eight in counselling and psychotherapy, uh, level eight in counselling, psychotherapy and addiction studies and level eight in counselling, psychotherapy and youth studies. So three good courses there uh, that students can apply for on the CEO website. So CI110 to CI112, you're looking at your CEO codes there in your handbook. Very, very important. So maybe, because uh, uh, Harry, I know you're a senior lecturer on the counselling and psychotherapy programme. Will you give us a little background about uh, those courses? I can, of course. Um, the reason why we have three courses, not just one course in counselling and psychotherapy, is that the that we found um, through, our, through our years of experience that there, there are a couple of primary areas that seem to um, people seem to gravitate in terms of working in the counselling profession. So we offer the, the counselling and psychotherapy programme, which is by its very nature dealing with counselling as a general um, career and as a, a general practitioner in counselling. So people working in that area as counsellors will be working with people who, who have you know, life's problems, the ones that we all experience at some stage, Donica. You know, we, we all have low mood at some stage. We all have stress in our lives. We all may have bits of anxiety. We all have loss at some stage, whether that be through bereavement or some other loss. So we all have problems in life, the everyday things that we all struggle with. Um, and mostly we can get through those ourselves at some level. But from time to time, we can get stuck. 
And these things can cause more of a problem than they should do. And that's where counseling comes in for people. So the, the counseling and psychotherapy course is aimed at, you know, working in those areas, working with people who have life's general problems, et cetera. If you move on to into psychotherapy, which would involve having to go for a master's level, and um, psychotherapy deals with more of the severe problems that we have, the sort of long-term psychological problems and difficulties and personality disorders, the ones where maybe people would have a lifelong issue or problem that has to be dealt with. So it's preparing people to work in, in general counseling, but also preparing them to work to want to work in psychotherapy if they want to do so. The other two programs reflect, as I said, and um, where um, people are gravitating in towards of working, working specifically in, in different areas in counseling. So the, the youth studies one for, in particular is, you know, youth at risk is a major problem in this country. Um, because as, as we know, uh, youth are running into an awful lot of difficulties and, and, and COVID is exasperating a lot of them. But there's a lot of issues around um, addiction, alcoholism, et cetera, um, abuse in, in this country. And working with adolescents has become a very important and focused field. So we have specialist topic areas in that to help um, people work in that area. And the same with addiction. Addiction is a, a massively a huge area now. And we'd have an awful lot of our students who gravitate towards the, the addiction modules. Yeah. And then I suppose from a student's perspective, when, when they're looking at these and, and researching these, so they're, they're all four-year degrees, obviously level eight degrees we looked at. It's English or Irish as a requirement. And one of the most popular questions I always get asked is the maths requirement. So there actually is no maths requirement uh, for these courses. And uh, PLC students can also apply for these courses as well. Yeah, the, the, the maths requirement is a funny one because um, it often comes as a shock to people to discover that, you know, but when you're dealing with a topic that deals with human psychology and et cetera, there's, there is a little bit of maths in it, funny enough. Um, it's it's basic descriptive statistics, you know, understanding, you know, what reports say and what the data says, et cetera. But there, there's no real maths as, as such in it. So we have no requirement for people to have any particularly strong level of maths, you know which is useful. English is helpful though. Yeah. And it's not a state funded college. So there's private fees, but funnily enough, the private fees as private colleges go are very, very cheap. Well, what we've endeavored to do and, and we did this deliberately was to, to try and reflect the, the same kind of charges that were coming from the major uh, universities, from the national universities, etc. cetera. And, and so their registration fees are, Whatever, whatever name they might give them from time to time, but they're fees by any other name. Yeah. We, we try to match them as close as we possibly can and keep it as economic as we can for students. Now, the one thing, and, and I do have to say this, the one thing we don't have access to is grants. Um, and that's, it's in my opinion, a criminal thing because there's many of the courses that we offer, you can't get them in the national um, university. Yeah. You can't access them. So, And yet the people who want to take these courses have to, you know, uh, we, we we can't there's a lot of people can't access them or will not have access to them because of financial reasons and we can't offer the grant we can't offer the Susie etc I know Minister Harris is trying to overhaul that uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll work in, in, in you guys favour there has been a lot of lobbying in recent years in, yeah. in that area and all the colleges all the private colleges we've got together from time to time and then block lobbied on it so hopefully we'll see some movement and it would be of, of great benefit for students you know and when we're looking at, because you said they're all uh, accredited by QQI, uh, and looking at professional accreditation, because I know counselling can be funny, and you kind of mentioned earlier that uh, there's kind of an overhaul in counselling uh, recently. Yeah, um, it's exciting times for counselling in that sense, you know, because for for a long time, counselling has been very fragmented in terms of its its um, accreditation processes. 
and its professionalism in this country, because there's so many organizations claiming at, at some level or other to accredit counselors. Um, so there's there's a whole, I'm not even going to start trying to remember all the acronyms, but there's certainly enough organizations out there who claim to accredit professional counselors. And it's it's a bit of a, a mess. So fortunately, um, uh, government have now taken in hand, and, and Minister Harris was the man who started, well, who was probably the most influential in this area, where um, what he's done is he's um, decided to get Coro to regulate counselling in this country. So Coro, as you may well know, it would be the, the regulating body for all the healthcare professions. So psychologists, social workers, and physiotherapists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are all in. So counselling is now going to come under that umbrella. So, you know, anybody who'd be starting a course going to, from the CAO now and coming in on an undergraduate course, by the time they qualify, they'll be qualifying into a world where counselling will be properly regulated with a code of practice and um, where they will have to have a certain high level of educational standard as well as professional training. And that's really a huge benefit to, to counselling as a profession and to the general public, because we should start seeing um, access to psych- psychological therapies becoming much more widespread and much more much easier to access. So when, when it's properly regulated, you'll start seeing it being integrated into school environments, college environments properly, into primary care, which would be vital, you know. So, you know, currently, you know, if somebody has a, a mental health issue or a severe emotional difficulty where they're having problems, the first place to go is their GP. Whereas if you're living in America, the first place you go is your therapist, you know. But it's it's the opposite in this country. So hopefully when, when we start seeing counselling in primary care properly, um, when, when somebody arrives into a primary care situation to a GP's clinic, there'll be two doors there, one for the GP and one for the therapist. And the, the, the option would be there to see the therapist first. And the therapist would be able to assess the client and say, well, OK, I think maybe you need to go next door and see the doctor first for medication. Or, But it, there is a disconnect there at the moment, which hopefully, you know, when it's properly regulated, we start seeing it in the places it should be. We'd start seeing a, a more kind of we'd see the dots being joined together. And we'd start seeing a more a more uniform approach to the mental health care in this country. Absolutely. And that'd be brilliant. Um, and just going on to the delivery of the course, because I know you have huge input in this, but there's actually a blended learning approach. Uh, and you guys were kind of the first to do it before COVID even happened. Uh, you were doing this blended learning approach. Can you tell us a bit about that, Harry? Yeah, um, the full-time courses are the full-time courses. So the CAO students coming in, hopefully the next batch coming in will experience full-time the way full-time is supposed to be experienced, actually in the college, sitting together in a classroom. That's not the case at the moment. Um, but with our with our part-time courses, we, we've always provided the option for people. And it was really to help people with lifestyle choices, to give them the option to study when it mightn't have been possible for them to study previously. So that, you know, for, for theory-based classes, we gave people the option to stay at home and study them. So we created what we call hybrid classrooms. So you had a choice. You could come in and sit in the class with all the rest of the students. Or if you couldn't do that, you could still attend the class live through our blended environment. So we all our classrooms were fitted out with cameras and microphones. So you could sit at home, see everybody in the classroom on your screen. They could see you. You could talk to them. You could talk to the lecturer, listen to lecture. And you could interact almost the same way as you would do if you were in the classroom. So what we found with, with that approach was that people had the freedom then, if they couldn't make it for work reasons or for distance reasons, that they could still attend the class directly. Plus, we record those. And if somebody can't make it at all, there'll be a recording of the whole lecture there for them to, to view and watch. So it proved very successful and very attractive to people who normally thought they couldn't take on a, a, a part-time course like that. Result was then, of course, when COVID hit, <laughs> that we were in, a, we were in a, a position where we could immediately 
switch over to a, a virtual environment. And we had all the experience. All our lecturers are highly experienced in working in that area and lecturing in that environment. So we, we had kind of it was almost, it wasn't a heartbeat missed. But even your graduates, I think we chatted about this earlier, even your graduates um, learning in that environment because Zoom or sorry, counselling went on to a lot of Zoom calls kind of when COVID hit as well. So even your graduates would have been very familiar with the whole setup. Good observation, Donica. Yeah, um, uh, you know, COVID has has caused, as, as I'm sure you're well aware, um, many difficulties for young people in particular around anxiety and stress-related problems and difficulties. Um, some of them being related almost to post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it's almost like epidemic proportions. You know, the, the number of calls that we get on any given day from people looking for referrals to counsellors for, for young people, adolescents in particular, but it's not just adolescents, it's adults as well are having difficulty with it. But uh, what it led to was um, a huge increase in, in counselling as, as a distance um, profession. So we start seeing technology-assisted counselling, and, and that in simple terms is just like we're sitting here in a, on, a, on a Zoom link, um, we have Zoom counselling. And, and that has proved hugely successful and has developed at an exponential rate, the same rate we were developing um, vaccines for this COVID. Yeah. We were developing new ways to provide counselling services to people who couldn't come out and access them in the normal way. And so we found that, um, that the level of skill that, that counsellors are developing in this area now has increased. We have specialist um, modules now in our, in our degrees to cover this because it's become so prominent. So it's now become a kind of recognised um, form of counselling, a very recognisable form of counselling. Uh, so when I was... Um when I was doing my guidance counselling course, uh, obviously with a good bit of counselling in that as well, uh, one of the one of the key components of it was a practice placement. Is that something similar in the undergrads at ICAS? Yeah, it's it's a big part of it. We we've got we've got three people dedicated to that area now. It's it's, it's quite a big part of what we do, and and we see in the future that um, when regulation comes in and CORE regulates, we see that's going to become even more significant and more important. So we spend a lot of time developing relationships with. A lot of um, organizations, um, nonprofits, even even um, private practices, et cetera, to develop um, uh, placement opportunities for our students. So um, generally speaking, our students um, don't have any great difficulty in, in, in obtaining placements. Some, some run into difficulties depending on how isolated they are, what kind of communities they're living in, et cetera. But generally speaking, um, what we're finding the placement thing, we've got that kind of under control now. We've the students going out. And also now we had a lot of students who were in placements environments where they were doing online counseling, which was really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting to see, you know. That it, I, I, what I always find now, and I, it, again, even after Christmas break, when I meet up the students again, I'll be talking about how they're getting on in their placements, you know. And they all have stories, and they're all talking about, you know, how things are changing and how it's different. And very exciting for them at the moment. You know? Yeah, it's great. And I'm glad to hear there's so much practice placement going on. And then I suppose with ICAS being a kind of a smaller college, uh, what would the student life be like at ICAS for, for undergrads particularly? Yeah, smaller has a couple of connotations to it here. One is that we, we don't have the facilities that UL have. I'm sorry, yeah. we don't have the running, running pitches, the, the GA pitches or the swimming pools. Um, what we do offer you is, and, I, and this is the one I suppose that we, in terms of feedback from students that we, we regularly get, which is that, you know, if you meet me in the corridor, you can stop and talk to me and ask me a question and, and I'll sit down and talk with you if you need to talk about something. And um, if you're having difficulty with a topic area, the lectures are always there for you to approach and talk to. We're very approachable. It's not like a, a lecture hall where with 300 or 400 students sitting in and the lecture company goes, and off he goes. 
um, it, it's a far more personal, um, even in terms of our, our classroom environments. And um, we were great believers in, in experiential work, but also in, in engaging with the students in the classroom environment. So we encourage students to ask questions. We encourage students to engage. At the end of the day, they're, they're training to be counselors and psychotherapists. You know, communication is going to be a big part of what they do. So we encourage it at all stages, you know. So that I'd say if, if I was to identify something that would be the biggest plus of going into a smaller college is that ability to engage with your with your lecturers, etc. Yeah, I went to a smaller college myself and I couldn't agree more. And I don't know if I would have thrived in a, in a bigger college. I preferred the smaller environment. Like you said, getting to know the lecturers, getting to access them uh, for topics that I wasn't quite sure on and things like that. So I can absolutely see the benefits of it. And then I suppose uh, we had touched on it a small bit, Harry, And but employment opportunities, it's not just kind of private practice, but there's lots of other opportunities for graduates as well. Oh, yeah. The, I suppose that if you were to ask um, students, you know, at the start, you know, what what they would, you know, you know, ask them the, what we call the miracle question. If you were to wake up in the morning and you're a counsellor now, where do you see yourself, you know? And, and for the majority of them, it would be that. I mean, they're in private practice. They have their own rooms. They're seeing clients. And, and you know, in a, in a, in a utopian um, counselling world, that's what all counsellors want to do. But there can be a, quite a journey to get there, you know. So, so for a lot of students, they're going to find themselves initially working in a variety of organisations and a variety of locations, um, and maybe not directly in counselling roles initially, but they will develop to the point where they'll be allowed to work directly in counselling. So we've kind of different levels of engagement for, for counsellors when they start. Initially, they'd be shadowing professional counsellors and working with them, and then they'll get the opportunity to work with individual clients themselves. All this time under, under very strict supervision, clinical supervision. So they would um, they'd be seeing a clinical supervisor every five hours of work. So every five hours they spend with clients, they have to go and spend an hour with a clinical supervisor to you know review and learn exper- experientially from their experiences and reflect on them. Yeah, so lots of different opportunities, which is great. Oh, definitely, yeah. We 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 um, we have, as I said, from a placement perspective, have very good relationships with a lot of organisations now who take a huge amount of our students and are very pleased with them. You know, very pleased with them. That's great. It's important to build those uh, networking links for students on their placement practice as well. Uh, so just uh, around, because you'd mentioned uh, counselling there, but I suppose for, for particularly adolescents listening, uh, so Leave Insert students listening, PLC students, you know, uh, there's a, and you had touched on it earlier, and I, I agree with you completely that there's a bit of a shortage for adolescents even to access counselling. And maybe uh, there's probably not... Um, enough education for students to know what exactly counselling is, to know if there's something particular that's wrong, and that's a counsellor you go to see or a psychotherapist you go to see. So what exactly, Harry, uh, could you explain, particularly from an adolescent perspective, what counselling would be? At its, at, its, at its core, it's basically a helping profession, you know, but uh, being a professional helping professional works in a slightly different way. So as far as counselling is concerned, it's generally helping people with the everyday issues that they have, what we call general emotional disturbance. So the, the life's problems that we all experience, loss, bereavement, um, mood issues, feeling depressed, um, anxiety, stress, things that impact, impact us during our lives at all stages, which most of us can get through, either by ourselves or with the help of our friends, but sometimes we can get stuck. Our problems maybe seem bigger than we thought they might be. And that's where counsellors can help. And counsellors can help in that environment. How they're going to help you is probably a different story altogether. Because um, there's a perception that counselling is just sitting down and talking. 
Um, but it can be more than that, you know. Some problems can be dealt with by having somebody listen to your issues and, and help you reflect on how you might deal with them. Others require um, maybe more active and directive type forms of counselling where they'd be given homework to do. I have to go off and do a, a, a what we call something like a behaviour risk exercise. So the counsellor gets them to go and do something. So they actually have to do their own therapy in many ways. So therapy and counselling comes in many different forms and shapes and sizes. And what, what professional counsellors try to do is adapt the form of counselling to suit their clients, not the other way around. They're not going to force clients to, to, to you know, come to therapy in a certain way. They have the opportunity to pick the kind of therapy that they want to do, the kind of therapist that they want to work with. So you'll have people who you know, feel best sitting down and comfortable talking about their problem and having somebody listen to them. And that's how they want to work through counselling. And for them, you know, the help is going to happen in that 50 minutes of that hour that they're sitting there. For others, it's going to be the help is going to happen based upon what the counsellor gets them to go and do, the therapy to get them to go and work on themselves. So they go home and they do their own work on themselves. They do their exercises, they do their journaling, and they get active in their own therapy. So different strokes for different folks. Because what research shows us, Dunnick, is that counselling works. Yeah. But not all counselling works for all people. Yeah. So my advice to anybody approaching counselling would be, you know, don't worry if you come in and the first counsel you meet, you go, oh, my God, no, this just doesn't suit me at all. You have to shop around almost. You have to try and find out what kind of counsel is going to suit me, what kind of approach is going to suit me. I was That was the exact next thing I was going to say to you. It is kind of trial and error. You're not, you mightn't absolutely love the first counsellor, but you have to have that uh, kind of chemistry, I suppose, together and, and be working in the, the same direction. Yeah, but we, that's a good point because we, we do know research shows us that the relationship between the counsellor and and, and the, the person coming in to see them is an important part of the whole process, you know, regardless of the kind of therapy or the kind of approaches that they have. And and there really should be no stigma here with counsellors and, and people going to see counsellors. And I suppose it's a very Irish thing to have that stigma. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, I suppose saying it's an Irish thing is probably true. Let, let me ask you a question. So you're you're strolling down O'Connell Street in Limerick, okay? And at the end of the O'Connell Street, this is brand new um, psychotherapy clinic, counselling and psychotherapy clinic, with big signs up saying the best clinic in Ireland, um, 100% success rate, etc. you know? And, and you've got a choice then. You can go up the road and there's one around the corner in an alleyway with no sign on the door. Which counselling service would you go to? I'm going to the big one. <laughs> I'm a sucker most for marketing, not, so you know. Most people are not going to walk in that door. Yeah, because yeah. People are going to see them walking in the door. Yeah. And you're quite right. Stigma is still an issue in this country, but it, it it's it's not the only country it's still an issue in, but it, it would be significant in this country still that there's some sort of stigma involved in it. I think, um, again, one of the benefits of COVID is it's demystified some of the things around counselling and, and a lot more people are approaching it and, and looking for help with the difficulties that they're having, um, which is great to see. And because there is help out there for people and anybody who, you know, listening now who is in a bad place of any description, there is help there. You know, there is there is help there and you can be helped. It's not it's not um, hopeless in any way whatsoever, you know. Yeah, and that's that's great advice um, uh, for students, particularly when they're in such a stressful year. And as as you were saying, and, and you you mentioned a couple of times, Harry, it's it's kind of your your kind of ordinary everyday stresses uh, that counsellors can help you with, and something maybe that you're not coping quite well with. As you said, some people can cope with it, others can't, and it's not to be seen as a weakness or anything. Uh, it's just uh, no. you you might just need a little bit of help. That's it, and um, and. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's a case of you know, take the help, get better quickly, and and move on. 
or, or struggle with it, you know. Yeah. And don't struggle. There, there is help out there, you know. Another thing that, that just popped into my head there as we were talking about young people and adolescents, you know, I often get challenged by, by traditional counselors and when they say, how can you, how can somebody possibly at the age of 18, you know, coming from school, go into that kind of environment and learn to be a counselor? They're too young. They've had no life experience, you know. Sure. How could they possibly be counselors? Because we, we see again, and it's a popular perception on counselors, isn't it? These wise, yes. older people who, who've had this world of experience and they know all the, and that, of course, is just. Yeah, it's this, it, it's this Sigmund Freud picture that I have of, of a counsellor. Yes, exactly. Um, now, uh, I, I, to be perfectly honest, when, when we first started presenting to the CAO, which we had to do when we were first, our first degrees were ratified by, by HETAC, um, because it was seen as discrimination not to make them available to everybody. Of course. So we, we had to present them. And we, I, I, would, I would have been among one of the ones who would have been quite sceptical about, what, 18-year-olds coming in to learn how to be counsellors? Oh, for God's sakes, we're in trouble here. But I would have to, I can happily say that I probably learned more from them than they ever learned from me. Brilliant. And, that, and that's a fact because they came in with their own set of issues yeah. and problems, difficulties and their own experiences of life, things that I wouldn't have properly understood. And um, so I learned an awful lot from them coming in. But what we what we tend to do is we mix in um, CEO students with mature students. So they feed off each other in that sense. Yeah. And we found that to be very successful and that the young people bring an awful lot to the table. And in terms of like, if you're, if you're a young person, a 16 or 17 year old who needs to see a counselor, do you want to come and see an old fart like me? Or do you rather go and see somebody in their twenties who may be able to relate to you a little bit better, you know? So there's, there's a definite role there for young people and our young, young counselors going out all had no problems picking up work. Yeah, no, and you're right. Like the challenges for 18 year olds now are completely different than they were, say, for us. Um, so it's very interesting and it's, and it's excellent. And, and to be honest with you, ICAS, Irish College of Humanities and Applied Sciences, uh, is very interesting. What you guys are offering there is excellent. So I hope there's some CEO uh, students, applicants, who are going to have a look at these courses. Harry Dickinson, thank you very much for taking the time to come on to the Leave and Sir Guidance podcast. Donica, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, Harry. Cheers.